welcome to Paper Team, a podcast about television writing and becoming a TV writer. I'm Alex Friedman, aka TV Calling. And I'm Craig Mazin. No, sorry. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> I'm Nick Watson on Twitter at underscore NJ Watson. <laughs> and today we're going to be talking about the importance of themes and values in TV writing through concrete examples of both and how you can use them in your TV scripts. But first, we actually have some exciting news to share with our listeners. Yes, we can actually announce that Paper Team will have an official WonderCon panel. Woo-hoo! WonderCon. Yeah, it's going to be our very first Paper Team live at a convention. Or ever, actually. Ever at all. That's yeah. so fancy. <laughs> Alex and I are both undead, so nothing's ever been live. <laughs> what? <laughs> Or zombies is what I'm saying. But if you want your brains eaten or to listen to us, you should come to WonderCon and check out our panel. Yeah, it's in Anaheim, and it will be the weekend of April 2nd. We'll have more details a little bit closer, too. I think we can probably share them with you next week, or you should just follow us on Twitter, and we'll probably put it all up on there, too. And now back to our regularly scheduled programming. About themes and values. All right, Nick, what do we mean by themes and values? There are obviously always different definitions and understandings of the term theme and value. TV Tropes defines a theme as what the story is about. It's a philosophy, a message, or an idea at the heart of a story. But I guess we should really look at why themes are important. So theme for me is why we write. TV isn't just mindless entertainment. Stories have a meaning and importance because they explore things that we can relate to. And they kind of posit answers or observations about the human condition that we can learn from or resonate with. In the same way that philosophy or religion will tell us something about ourselves and the world through a parable. Think about children's fables. Through one of those stories, they would kind of teach a lesson, like, be honest or respect your elders. These days, Disney movies achieve a similar function, showing kids, believe in yourself and you can do anything, for example. But stories and themes in TV today are often much more complex and kind of subtle than that, and a lot of the time open to interpretation. But they are still there. So for TV especially now, we have the ability to tell these stories over 13 hours or 22 hours or multiple seasons, and we can really explore slow character change and growth, like Walt in Breaking Bad, and kind of layer themes and values gradually over that longer period period of time than, say, a standard two-hour journey to an epiphany that we would see in a feature film. In a way, it's kind of a contrast to life where there should be, for you as a writer, an explicit or implicit reason for everything that happens in your story. Now, that could be in a character, in a story, in the world, but all of that should ultimately come from theme. You are, in a way, God, so ascribing meaning to what you write is vital to make it relevant and impactful to the reader and the audience. Now, most of all, in my mind, there needs to be a sense of unity and cohesion throughout the piece. If you think back to any successful shows, you can usually pinpoint their core theme with maybe one word. So Nick brought Breaking Bad. In my mind, Breaking Bad is about consequence. Game of Thrones is power. And Lost is identity. So those are just examples. Again, these are my thoughts on their core themes. But regardless of my thoughts on it, these themes are still present in those shows. And even though you may sometimes be writing stories that may seem mundane, don't forget that television and TV stories have a huge impact, whether it's in the U.S., internationally, across different cultures. Think about how many shows have reimagined what an American family looks like or should be over the past decades. Absolutely. And I think for me, at least, there's a difference between a sort of broad thematic area and an actual functional theme that you can use. So family or love is not really an operational theme. You want to be able to posit your theme as almost like a thematic question or statement. Now, I've said before on the podcast that to me, there are these fundamental elements of story and they're the same as a good logline. It's worlds, protagonist, action, goal, obstacles, stakes. So in a world, in a world, world. (laughs) 
In a world, a protagonist must do an action in pursuit of a goal, despite the obstacles or else the stakes. Your theme is then the statement that's unavoidably made as a result of those elements of story. So in this kind of world, when this kind of person takes this kind of action in pursuit of this kind of goal, despite these kind of obstacles with this at stake, the result is climax and resolution, and that shows that, etc. And that's your theme. Whatever all of that leading to that conclusion shows, whatever you can infer in meaning from that is your theme. So a very broad example would be like, good will always triumph over evil, or greed never pays. Right, like that. but the, these are, again, questions being asked. And I think the key of a good pilot is a pilot that makes you question your reality and makes you question those themes. And that's why, in a way, characters make choices and why choices illustrate what a character is, is because they're put in front of that theme and their decision relates directly to those questions you're asking in that thematic statement. Yeah, that's a really good point. I think that in a pilot, you want to ask that theme as a question, like, will greed pay? In the pilot, you're putting in an element in there that shows someone getting rich off of being greedy and doing the wrong things. But then eventually, when we get to the season finale, we're going to see what it all comes raining down around them and like, oh, no, greed does never pay. You know? Exactly. And usually... If you look at some shows, I think their episode titles illustrates a lot about that theme. Again, to go back to Lost, the first season, a lot of those titles are about one is solitary, tabula rasa. All these themes about second chances, who we are doesn't matter, or rather who we were doesn't matter, who we are now is what matters. And the pilot ends literally on the question of where are we? And the question isn't meant literally, where are we? Oh, are we on this island in the north of the Pacific or whatever? It's more, where are we with our lives and who we are as people? Yeah, it's a good way to think about it, that the pilot is the question and the finale is the answer. And then everything that you do is an exploration of that. Unless the ending is uh, a bunch of people in a church. In that case, that's not really a good way to answer the question of where are we? But I mean, I completely agree with Nick. And I would say on top of... Uh, that theme aspect is also this idea of values. Now, in my mind, a value is more of the moral compass of your theme. You know, it's kind of your take on that theme and what you want it to convey exactly. It's a direction you want the show to head towards or your characters. It could also be your characters or story and so forth. So for example, you could have religion or redemption as a general theme of your story, but a more specific value could be that through one of your characters or through one of your stories or one of your plot lines, you're going to be conveying this idea that maybe this way is how you should behave to be a good Christian. Now, it's a preach example, but a lot of shows convey that idea of, okay, this is how you should be a good Christian is by doing these things and not those things. Yeah, and that's why we say that just saying that your theme is one word, like family, isn't quite enough. Because like Alex says, you can have any take on that. It could be negative, like family will only hold you back. Or it might be asserting that family isn't as important. Your friends are your family, which is literally the theme and value of friends. Hold up, hold up. Have you seen Fast and Furious? Family is everything. Okay. <laughs> there you <laughs> go. That's the contrast, right? We might even have, like you're saying, Fast and Furious, blood is thicker than water, that kind of classic theme as well, where it's family is the most important important. So just saying, oh, my story is about family could mean literally anything in relation to family. You want to be specific about that and really know that when you sit down to write your show and your pilot. Not to be confused with Survivor Blood versus Water. Great season. <laughs> I want to see oil versus water. <laughs> oil versus water. <laughs> That's going to be the least interesting season of all time, I think. <laughs> all right. So now we have a general sense of the definitions of what we're actually talking about when we say themes and values. What does that look like practically in the execution and on the page and when we're watching? One of the most obvious examples of a show that deals really well with themes and values and so forth is this little thing called Star Trek. I don't know if you've heard about it. Never heard of it. It's this little show that got canceled years ago and then brought back. But like any good science fiction, Star Trek has explored many themes and values across the decades. 
and especially social issues. And one of my favorite shows and arguably the best Star Trek series is Deep Space Nine. And there's this episode in the sixth season called Far Beyond the Stars. In this episode, the basic plot of that episode is Captain Sisko experiences a vision and sees himself as this guy called Benny Russell, who's a science fiction writer in the 1950s, who's struggling with civil rights and inequality when he writes the story about this Captain Sisko, who is this black commander of a futuristic space station. So it's kind of like a meta comment on the show in our society. And it's this amazing episode about the dual existence of racism, both in the period portrayed in the episode, which is in the 1950s, but also in modern society today. It's a mirror to what is happening in our society. And one of the actors, Armin Shimmerman, commented, you know, Star Trek at its best deals with social issues. And though you could say, well, there was prejudice in the 50s, but the truth of the matter is here we are in the 21st century and it is still here. And that is what we have to be reminded by. And that is what that episode does terrifically well. And in my mind, that's what Star Trek and any story, when it's at its best, is it portrays what we are as people in a true sense. Now, Brooks, who both plays the lead Captain Sisko and also directed that episode, also commented on the idea that the episode is not exclusively about racism. And he says, quote, the people thought it was about racism. Well, maybe so. And maybe not. This is America. More importantly, and you know, racism is one of the things that we deal with, just like sexism is one of the things that we deal with. I mean, those things are inextricably connected to who we are. And when we start to talk about who we are, we have to face those issues in terms of behavior and what people do, because color has little to do with it. But the fact of the matter is, in Far Beyond the Stars, you have a man who essentially was conceiving of something far beyond what people around him had ever imagined, and therefore you thought he was crazy. And so it's this dichotomy between what you perceive the episode is about versus what the superficial layer of the story is. What's interesting as well is that two different shows, whether they're in the same genre or not, can have a very different take on the same theme, like we were saying. So, for example, let's talk about family. Family. Again. I'm going to talk about Sons of Anarchy, and I'm going to warn you that there are huge spoilers here. So if you are still watching it or you plan to watch it, skip ahead. So essentially in Sons of Anarchy, it's about this biker club and our main character is like the vice president of this biker club. His mom is like the matriarch. His stepdad is the president of the club. His dad used to be the president many years ago and died. So it's really hugely about family in a way. So the biker club is one family, but so is his literal blood family, his mom, his wife, eventually his two sons and that deceased father that we mentioned who used to be the president of the club. Now these two families have kind of mixed in together so much now that they are inseparable. His mother is his own matriarch and also the matriarch of the biker club. Her husband is now the president's his stepdad. Now here come the spoilers. It later comes out that his mom and his stepdad killed his real father so they could take control of the club. And when Jax finds that out, he now has to kind of choose between his blood family and his club family. And ultimately that leads to him, another huge, huge spoiler, having to kill his own mother for the good of his family because she ended up killing his wife and left his sons without a mother because she thought that she was trying to take him away from the club as well as being responsible for his father's death. That eventually leads Jax to also kill his stepdad, the club's current president, for the good of the club because he's running into the ground by kind of holding onto his power when he's too old. There's so much to explore there in the way of betrayal and honor and loyalty and particularly the notion of legacy, what a man leaves behind to be remembered by, preserving for the future generations. Things like the good of the many over the good of the one. It is actually just kind of a modern take on Hamlet, if you're familiar with that story as so well. So if you've seen Hamlet, basically you already spoiled yourself about what Sons of <laughs> exactly. Anarchy is about. So take that very dramatic, very intense look at family through that lens, and then compare it to how comedy might explore a family. For example, a multi-cam sitcom like Everybody Loves Raymond. And this is the strangest two things to put next to each other, but... <laughs> 
It's literally about a middle-aged man who lives across the road from his elderly parents. They're constantly coming over into his life unasked, interfering, making a mess of things, and vice versa. You know, Ray often messes things up with his wife or his kids or their parents. So that ultimately what it boils down to is that even if your family is crazy, you're stuck with them, so you have to kind of like learn to love them. And they do prove their worth to him. His mom helps him get out of a bind with his wife, you know, by like secretly cooking a whole dinner and transporting it over to his house so he can pretend he made it. Or his dad teaches him an unexpected lesson about being a good father. So the contrast between Sons of Anarchy and everybody else, Raymond, Sons of Anarchy, this guy will kill members of his own family for the greater good or for the rest of the family, one for the sake of the whole. Whereas everybody loves Raymond's world is as much as you might want to kill him, you kind of have to learn to love and accept them because they are your family. Although I would actually watch an episode where, where Romano kills his family. That would be an interesting episode. <laughs> Maybe a crossover soon. episode like Sons of Anarchy, Ray joins a biker gang. <laughs> <laughs> Sons of Raymond. Anyway. I um, see him on like a motorbike going, <laughs> <laughs> These are two shows that deal with family that are very different. I would also say that there's middle grounds where you can use what are already established themes and values and then subvert them. So an obvious example to stick with the, this idea of family and even what American society should be about is is the show Desperate Housewives, which was very successful initially because it kind of subverted this idea of, oh, you have all these suburban housewives living these basic lives. And then the show opens with literally a housewife making a pie and making dinner and then killing herself. And that's literally the first scene of the show. And so it completely transports you outside of this idea of, oh, this wholesome American suburb to the reality that everybody has secrets. There's this dark underground that lies beneath. Even the very definition of family has constantly been redefined in TV from the classic family sitcoms of the 50s through to Married with Children and The Simpsons and today like modern family like what a family is has changed on the screen so much over time that you kind of have to define family for yourself in your show and then see how you're going to explore that i just play the sims that's all i do that's my family i'm so lonely <laughs> please help me you're the mortensons you look at that guy with the mustache and the thing sims references are going deep guys <laughs> So that's all well and good. We know intellectually what themes and values should be exploring, but how do you actually do that on the page? One way is to work them within your story and your plot. So a really good example that I like is from this show called Buffy. And there's this episode... Again, never heard of it. Never, never heard of Buffy. There's this episode written by Gene Espenson called Earshot in the third season of Buffy. So again, Buffy takes place for the first three seasons in high school. And so the basic premise is Buffy gets some demon blood on her and can now hear people's thoughts. And she discovers through this gift that someone at her high school is planning to kill a large chunk of the student population. And she ends up finding out that one of the students has a rifle. And although we initially assume that he's the one that wants to kill everyone, it turns out that he was actually there to kill himself and commit suicide. And so this iconic scene in the clock tower of the school where Buffy empathizes and stops the suicide attempt of this kid. And we kind of know and feel for that character at that moment because we actually know who this person is. It's this guy, Jonathan, who for the past three seasons has been this kind of goofy, comedic background person. And you may actually recognize Jonathan as played by Danny Strong, who is one of the co-creators of Empire. And so really there's this overall theme of what it feels to be different and what it means to feel different in high school. And what makes Buffy so great for most people is this idea that you have all these very human themes explored in this superhuman phenomena and story. And so in Earshot, this dichotomy between our inner lives 
and what we actually show the world and how we come to trust others without ever really knowing their real intentions and motivations. And actually, this episode originally was scheduled to air one week after the Columbine massacre. Oh, wow. But it was yanked from the schedule and actually did not air until that September. But despite that dire subject, which is seems like a Debbie Downer, but it's actually an episode that is both obviously poignant, but also funny. That is one of the reasons why Buffy is so great is because although the show does play with Buffy reading minds as being funny and goofy, it also has this vital discovery about teenagers, what it means to be a teenager in America in high school and the idea of feeling alone, which is, again, a very recurring theme in Buffy. And in fact, that's one of the many reasons why Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the show, literally spawned a field of academic study, which is called Buffy Studies. You can look it up. This is real. The show has explored so many issues and thematics across its seasons that it's almost a masterclass in how to deal with themes and values successfully in a show. And sometimes not so successfully, like in the episode Beer Bad of the fourth season. Please never watch that episode. (laughs) Cool. So that's a great way to deal with it through these devices in story and plot. But if we take a look at character, I think one of the really important things you can do is shape the character dynamics to reflect the theme. So we're using different characters to reflect different aspects or choices in relation to that theme. So if we're exploring a notion, say, that power corrupts, let's use the example of Game of Thrones, we have this king who was once a great man and a warrior, and now he's just kind of a drunken oaf resting on his laurels while his kingdom goes to crap, Robert Baratheon. So we also have these power-hungry advisors like Littlefinger and Varys who are pulling strings and manipulating things, not in a powerful fighting way, they're just whispers here and there and little manipulative moves, and they're going to any lengths and betraying anyone just to get a taste of that power and position. And we also have Robert's own wife and family, Cersei, the queen, and her brother Jamie, who are plotting to have him killed so that she can take that power and bring it back to their family, the Lannisters. And then we have all these other outside factions when that power gap comes, like the Starks, and they all think that they deserve to be king. So they go into this conflict and war to claim the power and the throne for their family line. What's important here is that each character has different beliefs and tactics to gaining that power, why they think they deserve it, and what they will do to get it. But ultimately, getting back to the theme, this single-minded pursuit of power leads to great tragedy for everyone involved. So many of their loved ones die, the families are separated, the kingdoms are destroyed, and really at the end there's nothing to show for it. Maybe a brief seat on the throne until the next challenger comes along and stabs him in the back or throws them off it. George R. R. Martin has said that he wants the entire series to end with a winter wind rolling across the graves of everyone. (laughs) So they'll sacrifice everything and essentially gain nothing in the end. It shows power is hollow and it corrupts us. It's that tagline from Game of Thrones, you win or you die. Man, what an uplifting uh, show. (laughs) I wholeheartedly embrace this idea that one of the most powerful ways of dealing with themes and values, as Nick illustrated so well with Game of Thrones, is this idea that you have these characters competing against each other via those themes and those thematics. And another example of that, in my mind, is this character Scorpius in the show Farscape which is another sci-fi show. I, I love my sci-fi shows. Mm-hmm. Now, Scorpius is not only one of the most interesting villains in Farscape, in my mind, but one of the most interesting characters in all of TV. He's more than a bad guy. He's really this layered, powerful character who actually endears himself to the audience in spite of his weird inclination and messed up ideas. And that's why he has a huge impact on the story, the characters, but also the viewers and the themes of the show. So Scorpius, if you don't know him, he's basically this alien hybrid with two opposite physiological needs. On one hand, he craves this intense heat because he's part of the warrior race that needs heat to thrive. But on the other hand, he also needs to be cooled down constantly just to survive because his other alien half cannot stand the heat quite literally. So as a character, he has constantly been battling this dichotomy 
And because of that, he turned his disability into an advantage. So long story short, Scorpius is truly the visceral embodiment of the saying that what does not kill you makes you stronger. And that is in direct opposition with so many of the other characters who embody very different value systems and hence why he is intrinsically a villain in the show because his methods are in complete opposite with most of the characters in the show. Absolutely. That's a very easy way to frame your villain and your protagonist is to have them have competing worldviews and opposite things that they're trying out against the same theme. All right. So that's a great example of character. Moving on to kind of the world of your show and your concept and the basic elements there that can reflect theme. Well, you can't go one episode without me mentioning The Simpsons. So <laughs> uh, <laughs> I won't go into too much detail, but everyone knows The Simpsons. And you know that through their heightened world, they're actually poking fun at this apparent superiority of American culture. They're constantly making fun of, you know, sports like baseball and softball and you know, politics. You've got all these bumbling, incompetent people like Mayor Quimby making fun of religion with Reverend Lovejoy and Ned Flanders. They're making fun of capitalism and consumerism with like Mr. Burns and his megalomaniacal ways. Um, there seems to be this really inherent disdain for authority figures in The Simpsons. Like I said, Mayor Quimby, you've got Chief Wiggum, who's a bumbling cop. There's Mr. Burns. Anyone who has any similar power or represents the system is being made fun of in The Simpsons. That's funny because in Star Trek, there's also this weird recurring thing where every admiral or higher up turns out to be evil or an alien. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of weird. <laughs> that is a classic TV trip, but it really is very subversive. When you think about it, we've gotten so used to The Simpsons these days that we think it's very plain, but when it first came out in particular, it was like, wow, this is really taking a knife to American culture and, you know, that kind of thing. As we said in the authority thing, like even that basic dichotomy of Bart as the rebel versus Homer as the authority, he's a bumbling oaf and Bart is the young upstart and that kind of thing. So you can really shape your world in such a way that it reflects those kind of themes that you're exploring just intrinsically. Don't forget what George Bush said about he wanted American families to be more like the Waltons than the Simpsons. And look how we turned out, guys. <laughs> Another really good example of this, I think, is the show Black Mirror. It really gets into this whole thing about, on the surface, it might seem like they're being like, oh, technology is dangerous, but that's kind of wrong, to be honest. It really is about how dangerous people are, and they're being enabled by this technology. What if humans could do anything they wanted? What would happen? And of course, that goes to people's darkest and deepest instincts. So it's really about the dangers of the human condition when coupled with this advanced technology and ability to do whatever they want. It enables and it exacerbates the tendencies to exploit and to harm and the selfishness in us and in society. Guns don't kill people. People kill people. <laughs> exactly. So in the same way that the classic Twilight Zone did much of this as well, is that classic trope that the real monster was man. Wasn't that like a Futurama yeah. scary door episode? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I love Black Mirror. I love all my mythology shows. I actually heavily recommend The Outer Limits, the OG Outer Limits, and even the one from the 90s, which in my mind is closer to Black Mirror. I think the Twilight Zone is more fantastical and has allegories about humanity itself versus Black Mirror, which is almost like a science fiction take on it. And The Outer Limits was also very science fiction-y. So it's closer in my mind to Black Mirror than The Twilight Zone is to Black Mirror. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, none of these shows are really about the science fiction element of it. They are about the human element of absolutely. it. And the science fiction is a device to show that. Yeah, it's a, the prism in which you look at humanity itself. All right, so we've looked at themes and values and how you can work them in your story, but a big complaint that many people have with some stories is this idea of it being preachy, right? So how do you make a story not feel preachy or heavy-handed? That's a really good question. I think that a lot of people Thank you. struggle with it. <laughs> Shut up, Alex. <laughs> 
I think that's something that a lot of writers struggle with. I think that what's important is making these themes and values subtle. Not so much that you're going to surprise the audience with it, like out of nowhere, suddenly it's about family, but you have to make it so ingrained to the story and the characters in the world, like we said, that it feels earned when it becomes apparent or evident through those characters' actions and the turns of the plot that this is what it's really all about. Sometimes you don't consciously have an answer for what is the theme of Game of Thrones off the top of your head when someone asks you, but once you think about it or someone says it, you're like, oh yes, of course, that makes so much sense. I can think of like six examples now that really explore that within that show. So you want to go for that subtlety where the audience understands and absorbs the theme and the message without it hitting them over the head and saying, you must accept this. This is the answer. Here's your lesson for the day. Let them find it for themselves and piece it together and feel like they've kind of made their own understanding or learned their own lesson. That's funny that you brought up Game of Thrones because in my mind, Game of Thrones suffers from this idea of explicitly stating the theme of the show sometimes. One of the most infamous examples that I often quote is the speech in the, I think the second or first season by Lil Finger where he talks about the ladder of chaos, that we've got to climb the ladder of chaos and with this montage of all the different characters. That was one of the most heavy-handed moments I've ever seen on TV and that is because he's literally stating outright on the show what the show is about and what this episode was about and what his character is about. And I think that's the danger and what, in my mind, makes something preachy versus not preachy is this idea of pontificating and speechifying what the show is about, what the character stands for. And think of all these awful, very special episodes or PSAs of children TV and even in adult scripted shows as well. It isn't the existence of the theme itself or even the value itself, but how it is executed. It's how a character uses that value in the show. It's how he expresses himself or herself in that story. So any story usually that has a theme will have a sense of moral or lack thereof. And so the way you drive that story forward through that theme is what, in my mind, can make a story feel preachy versus not. We can all think of a million examples from classic multicam sitcoms that will sometimes literally rely on one person saying the theme or lesson out loud to the main character at the end of the episode. Well, I guess today we all learned that XYZ, you know, I guess we all learned that when it comes to love, you can't take shortcuts. And then they will hug and then we fade in the theme song play, you know, like... (laughs) That is absolutely the most heavy-handed, ridiculous way to do it. As seen in the uh, BoJack Horseman Christmas special, I think that was one of the better (laughs) takes on that trope. Exactly. And you see people who subvert that. The Simpsons has done it, and Rick and Morty has done it. They get to the end of the episode, and like, well, today I guess we all learned X. And they're like, oh, no, wait, we didn't learn that. I guess we learned nothing. And then they kind of fade out, you know, like... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's a very another common kind of joke at that, the expense of those shows that used to do that. So. I guess we just wasted 20 minutes. Goodbye. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, there, there are a couple of things in my mind that you can think about when crafting your story, characters, and so on to make sure that you're working those themes and values into your stories and characters organically. And those two questions are, what are the themes and values that are unique to you? Because any story is personal. That's what makes it powerful is because you're the person to tell it and no other can do that. And the other question would be something along the lines of, what are some values and themes you have not seen before? You know, there's an abundance of Christian narrative in American culture, especially in American TV shows. So it's not uncommon to find the same themes repeated over and over again, especially by redemption and rebirth and so forth. Superman is a Christ figure. You have Daredevil. You have all these characters that are on American TV. So maybe try to do something different. And you can still subvert, as we brought up, some already established dynamics like Six Feet Under and Sopranos obviously subverted the themes of family and made it their own. That's why they're so iconic. It's because they redefined what a real American family looks like. It's disjointed, it's chaotic, but at the end of the day, it's still blood. So think about how well your characters and your story enter in conflict organically through the themes and value that you want to explore in your stories.
All right, Nick, what are some takeaways? Number one, you want to understand what themes and values actually are, and then how you can frame them as statements or questions that are being explored in your writing. Number two, understand why themes and values are important to good storytelling and connecting with your audience. Number three, don't be preachy. Themes and values should be organic within your characters, your story, and your world. All right, what are some resources? So this is one that I really love. There are a series of books called The Philosophy of, and then the name of the TV show. So books for shows like The Simpsons, Seinfeld, South Park, Stargate, Lost, you name it. They really take a deep dive into the philosophical and human questions that are posed by these shows. And they always tie it back to the teachings of actual philosophers like Hume or Kant or Nietzsche. I highly recommend picking one of these up about a favorite show of yours. They're kind of fascinating to explore. I love those books. In fact, a few years ago, I bought the philosophy of the Simpsons and gave it to my dad, who's a big Simpsons addict, and he loved it. Each chapter is an essay on like why Lisa represents modern feminism, things like that. Cool. There are also several resources online to look at more specific themes relating to specific episodes for specific shows. For example, there's this guy, David Banks, who's collected a list of relevant Star Trek episodes dealing with specific social thematics, like from aging to issues of race, AI, gender, politics, and so on. So I'll be linking that in the show notes. And one just in general, I want to say that if you really want to understand theme and how to execute that well, you should read and watch stage plays. They have so many limitations in what they can work with in the way of visuals and dramatic action on a stage that they really have to delve deep into themes that are being explored through these characters. For example, Waiting for Godot is literally some men sitting on a bench waiting for their friend to show up. So they have to keep you engaged with the characters and the dialogue alone. That means it can't just all be meaningless banter or jokes or whatever. They have to be kind of digging at something deeper that resonates with the audience for us to stay engaged and interested. And I think that's also what TV writers should be aiming for. So maybe take some inspiration from plays. Isn't that what most TV is? Just two people sitting in a room talking? I feel like that's 90% TV. TV on CBS. <laughs> oh, <Ooh>. burn. <laughs> Making enemies here, guys. I mean, I do love the good fight. I'll say that. That brings us to the end of our episode. So thank you, everyone, for listening and investing your time with us. You can get all the show notes for this episode at paperteam.co slash 36. As always, we would love some reviews. You can leave them at paperteam.co slash iTunes. And the more reviews we get, the more new listeners. We will get a higher number on a little list thingy on iTunes, and that'll make us look cool. (laughs) And as always, I'm on Twitter at TV Calling. I'm at underscore NJ Watson. If you have any thoughts, feedback, opinions, ideas for future episodes, please send them to ask at paperteam.co. And next week, we're going to take a look at visual storytelling. And Ooh. for that, we're going to use a case study of a Buffy episode called Hush. Shh. Don't talk. No talk, Nick. We'll see you next week. See you. Bye.